So I wanted to um, share a few reflections this evening on um, my experience of grief. It's current. (laughs) So today is a month since my father passed away. And um, it's been quite an interesting process, and most every day is different. And... um, I wasn't shocked when I saw that he died. I was actually quite um, happy for him that he'd found a way to move forward. My, the rest of my family, however, didn't have the same feeling about it. It was quite a shock for them that, that he had died. And so in addition to um, being present with my own feelings, I was also present with the feelings of my family and helping them to um, do what they needed to do to come to terms with what was going on for them. And so anytime somebody passes, like, you know, my father's been sick for over 22 years, you know, a long time. And so I've been thinking that this is going to be happening for a while now. Um, My brother, too. You know, my brother has carried the brunt of of caring for him in terms of looking after him and, you know, taking him to doctors and into hospitals countless times. And just about every single time we took him to a hospital, he wasn't sure he's going to take him out of the hospital, you know. And yet, no matter how long and how much and how clear you are that a person is going to die eventually, it's always a shock, you know, on some level. It's like you're never quite ready for it. So the last day that I saw my dad, you know, we had a lovely day. It seemed totally like kind of nothing extra special happened that day at all, really. We had a lovely meal together, and that was very nice. But it absolutely never occurred to me that was the last day I was going to see him, you know. And sometimes it's just like that, you know, you just don't know from one day to the next, you know, when you're going to see somebody again. And it's not just true for somebody who's elderly and who's been sick for many years, it's also true for each of us, and it's true for all of the people that we know. We just really don't know what happens from one day to the next. But what was interesting for me is is that even though my initial kind of joy about having him move on was really clear... A couple days later, I did go into shock, and my shock was that I couldn't connect with him. So, you know, I had somehow this idea that even though Dad would pass, I'd still be able to communicate with him and be in contact with him and sort of like hang out together. You know, not as a physical hangout, but in a kind of, you know, heart or mental hangout. And Dad was like totally gone, and I was like, you know, I was not expecting that at all. I just was not expecting that at all. And so it kind of like at the apex of hearing or in my own like shock was emerging. Then I also heard um, information about somebody who I'm quite close to who's got melanoma. And that landed like, you know, just 10 tons of bricks. You know, it was like all of a sudden it felt like my world was collapsing. And Which is sometimes, you know, when you are in shock and you hear information, you're just not processing it in the right way. And then there were a few other things that happened as well. And so... 
from that period of time, for two weeks afterward, I just felt sad all of the time. Like, just every single day and every single moment, I felt like this incredible, heavy, thick sadness. But the sadness wasn't related to Dad. The sadness was an early childhood um, kind of emergence of what happened when I was around eight, when it felt like my world was falling apart. And so the, the news of one person having melanoma and then circumstance with another person activated some residue of what was present for me when I was eight, which was just totally overwhelming, you know. I was, I was in a commune. My grandmother died. My mother and father were at war with each other. There was stuff going on in the house that it wasn't appropriate for an eight-year-old to have contact with or to be exposed to. You know, um, my father was estranged from his sister. I mean, it was just like all of this was happening at the same time, and I was on my own to process and, and, and sort it out. And it was absolutely more than an eight-year-old can I mean, it's more than most people can do, but it's certainly more than a child can do. And so that experience of my world falling apart was really, um, you know, it was, a, it was a sad time for me. It was a really sad time. So the passage of my father activated something about a sadness that was much older, that had still some residues in it that hadn't shifted and released out of my system. So the practice is to be present with what is and, you know, to be with what is. And so, you know, I'd go into the garden of the gods and, you know, take care of myself and get some exercise and, you know, do what I need to do in order to eat well and rest. And somebody a couple years ago had given me a swimming pass because I didn't have um, my... I had a problem. I The septic system wasn't working. I couldn't use the shower here, so I used the shower. And I had two or three punches left on my swimming thing. And so I went to the swimming pool and I soaked in the hot water. And to go in and out of the hot water and the, and the warm water and the hot water and the warm water. Because what I noticed is, is that even though on some level mentally I felt like I was processing things reasonably well, my body felt totally hammered. I mean, it felt like, you know, I just feel exhausted all the time and my body feels like it's burning. So there's a kind of somatic kind of mm, catching up of just what's, like, there's cortisol being released in my body as a result of the stress. And um, even when I was feeling mentally quite bright, my body had a whole thing that it was having to do in order to process all of this, you know. So this eight-year-old stuff is more like a, a body memory that needs to be felt and released as a body experience rather than as a mind experience. And as, as I tend to that and I lighten that load, then the sadness releases. And so, again, it's not to do with dad. It's it's actually to do with a, another situation. But anytime you've got a big loss and the loss of a parent is not a trivial loss, then any residue in your life stream that has anything to do with loss or sadness that isn't completely finished is going to come up and ask for attention and ask for being released. And I also noticed that as I was dealing with this sadness, you know, I was also aware of the sadness that I feel about, you know, the circumstance that the world is in right now. You know, it feels like on some ways that, you know, the planet is also dying. You know, we're setting ourselves up for the people to have a really hard time to live on this earth by the way things are moving forward. And so normally when I'm engaged in life and doing things, I'm not aware of that sadness because the brightness of my mind 
is stronger than the sadness is present. But in a situation like this, when my system is low and sadness is present, then I can feel that. You know, I can feel, you know, what it feels like to have, you know, the global climate change and the things shifting and the just all this stuff going on. You know, it's just like, it's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Squeeze for living beings as we're familiar with them to, to find what we need to manage here. And so in the presence of more sadness, you can actually, um, it's interesting and fascinating to watch what happens with the mind. So, you know, in the presence of suffering, the mind has two choices. The mind can actually move towards um, more birth or towards understanding the end of suffering. And I could see that, you know, when I'm feeling sad, the mind really strongly longs for birth. So birth is like where the mind wants to go when there's suffering. And birth in terms of comfort, physical comfort, in terms of uh, physical pleasure, in terms of um, feeling a sense of assurance or reassurance and all the rest of that. And yet, when I can hold the mind steady that this kind of wanting is one of the natural consequences that happens as a result of of, um, suffering, and when I can also connect with part of this wanting is coming from a, of the mindset of, an, of, a very, of a young child who didn't get what she needed at that time, then rather than have any kind of a judgment about the wanting, there's the ability to attend to what is needed and direct that into the present circumstances. And when I'm able to do that, then there's something that's really quite significant that lightens up and releases. And it takes time, but, you know, part of the reason why I just have been really um, pleased that uh, Venerable Sangpo is here is because a certain kinds of friendship that can understand this kind of territory and, and is able to meet you there and support in a way that is both allowing as well as encouraging, you know, when it comes in particular times, it's just, wow, it's just like nectar, you know, from the heavens. And so to have him just come back from India, just at this point, this particular junction, it just feels really supportive. And Annie Palmo, the nun who um, treated me successfully for the chemical sensitivities, she's also coming to Colorado. Uh, they book the ticket. She'll be here for about three weeks. She's arriving on the 7th of September, and she's going to stay to the 1st of October. And um, Terry Ray who's a lay Dhamma teacher that she and I taught the New Year's retreat. She also has some health problems, so she paid for her ticket to come. But she'll be able to come to Colorado Springs and spend some time together with me here, which is wonderful. I mean, I'm just delighted by that. So that's great. So, you know, the process of working with grief is very much a present moment, appropriate response kind of process. And every single day it changes, you know. So, you know, one day I feel light and my body is burning and the next day I want to kick and I want to spit and I want to swear. And it's like, you know, and that's sort of like... And then the next day I'm crying and the next day I'm exhausted and the next day I feel fine. And it's like... And it's just like... It's just... Every single day is different. And so one just needs to give a kind of wide berth for the fact that this is what's happening and... It's going to take as long as it takes, and here we are, you know. This is exactly what it's like. 
So, you know, today um, I had set this up months ago that this was going to be the full moon meditation vigil, you know. And um, as it turned out, this was also the day that was Dad's cremation. So it's like, you know, I'm in the middle of this grieving process and had no idea what it was going to be like to, you know, send Dad off into the into the cremation. And, and so I thought, you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like. But in the end, it, it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, it couldn't have been more beautiful. Um, Venable Sangpo and Darcy and Ivan and, and Hansa and Steve were there. And, you know, just to be able to have time and ceremony and chant and chant everything that I wanted to chant. And, you know, Venable Sangpo did the power ceremony chanting, which is the transfer of consciousness, which is particular to the Tibetan tradition. And, and you know, to make offerings and, and, and anoint him with flower petals and sage and juniper berries that I collected in the Garden of the Gods. And, and what's that? And asteroid dust that I collected in the Garden of the Gods. And, and just to have time and just to see, you know, his peace and the dignity and the be- be- incredible beauty. I mean, you don't know, we don't normally think of death as beautiful. We think of death as something to, like, we don't want to know, we don't want to look at it, we don't want to see. And yet, he was so peaceful. And it was so beautiful to look at him, you know. This body that was still and peaceful and dignified. And so for me, you know, because of what had happened and the way that he left, taking matters in his own hands, my brother was freaked when he saw his body and freaked about what he'd done. And so his whole thing was just to get him out of the house as fast as possible to protect the family. And so, you know, had it been my... If I had the magic wand and could do whatever I wanted, I would have laid him out and rest and done a meditation vigil with him for a week, you know, just hang out with him. But he was living in my brother's house, and because of the circumstances, you know, he wanted him out and as fast as possible. So I had, like, you know, ten minutes, you know, before they took him away. And it wasn't for me to interfere or negotiate with my brother's process because he was traumatized, you know, and it was obvious, you know. He just needed to follow his own flow with that. But so for me today was just really lovely kind of closure of of touching in and being able to have the time and feel and to sit, you know, to chant and to do all the things that felt like was needed to do, you know. It's just, just lovely. And, you know, I was saying that one of the reasons why I was feeling shocked before was because I, I felt like he was completely out of contact. Well, today, when we were doing this, I think we were about two-thirds of the way through the ceremony, I just had this feeling of him weeping with joy. You know, that it was so beautiful and so honoring and so um, dignified. You know, I just had the feeling that he was weeping with joy. And so I was moving around his body and looking at him from different angles. And then after I had the sense of him weeping for joy, I, I noticed some moisture on his eye that, I, that hadn't been there before, you know. So it was like his eye, it looked like he was crying, but, you know, dead people don't cry. So there was something else that was happening. So, <laughs> But it was like a physical expression of something that was connecting with what was happening in my own mind. And so it was very encouraging. And then we went afterwards and we had a um, little time to touch base and just to share where we were at and how it affected us and, and, and to have some food. 
And, um, you know, and I thought about, well, let's have some of the foods that Dad loved. So we had some of Dad's favorite foods and some of the foods that Dad hated. <laughs> because for the last, I don't know how many years, 10 years, like he's been on a complete um, revolt against anything that was green or orange or had any kind of vitamins in it. You know? <laughs> so we had to make sure we had some of those. But anyway, it was just it was just so lovely, and it just felt so... Like, well, of course, this feels so normal. You know, this is what you do when somebody dies, you know, is you take the time and you honor them, you know. But it's like, you know, the the people in the crematorium, they were so lovely with us, but they had, they didn't have a clue what we were doing. And, I, I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't think that there's very many Buddhist monks and nuns that come in and 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 and, and do things like that. But it seems like, well, it just seems so obvious that this is what is needed when somebody dies, you know. I didn't need to be talking about me or, you know, telling stories about him. You know, we just, it's time to send him off in, a, in an energetic field that holds something that was much bigger. So the chanting that we do in the Theravadan tradition is the Abhidhamma chanting, which is all of the the, the stages of conditionality, and it talks about the the sense spaces and it talks about the conditioned relations and then it goes through the Four Noble Truths and it goes through the cycle of dependent origination in how suffering is created and how suffering stops. And, you know, this is this is this is what we're chanting. And we chant the refuges and this is what we're chanting, you know, just like, you know, holding in this kind of potential. You know, it just felt absolutely lovely. So, you know, I'm tired because I didn't sleep very well last night, but it was because of the moon rather than because of everything else. But I just feel so um, grateful to have been able to touch this at this kind of a level and honor and um, pay my respects and express my gratitude. You know, I am alive because of my mother and my father. My body, my life is because of them, you know to give thanks and to honor in that way. I just feel so right, so suitable, so incredibly suitable. So here we are, and I'm just so delighted that you've all come. It's just lovely that you've all come. And I'm delighted that Bhante's here. So I'll stop and ask him to give a short reflection, and then those of us who would like, we can go for a walk and we can come back, and we can see how you want to join in or not with that. Yeah.